as you all are leaving the platform, great to have our Sanctuary Choir back with us, uh, leading us in worship today. Uh, can you let them know how much you appreciate it? Thank you. Now, of course, they don't do it for the applause or the recognition. They do it because they love to worship and sing. And if you are someone here who enjoys singing and loves to worship, uh, maybe uh, it's time for you to step up and join our Sanctuary Choir. We're always looking for people to jump in and make our choir even stronger than it is now. So if you're interested or just have questions, you can see me or see Kenton after the service or Carly, uh, whoever you want to talk to up here, and we can help you get involved there. As all of you know, we have our annual meeting scheduled for today. Uh, at 12 noon, right here in this room. Um, if you're a member, you're especially invited to attend. Anyone's welcome, but if you're a member, we especially want you to be here. If you can't be here, there are absentee ballots out in the kiosk in the lobby. Uh, if, you, if you know you're not going to be back and you have not done an absentee ballot yet, just take one quickly this morning and make sure you fill it out and drop it in the box. We appreciate your support very much. But one of the things we'll celebrate at noon today is... Um, that at the end of our fiscal year, which ends August 31st, it's kind of a strange fiscal year, but it ends August 31st, we finished uh, ahead of our budget by some $20,000, which is also always good news. But what makes it really good news is on top of that, this year, for the first time in the history of Chapel Street, we actually gave away as a church a million dollars, over a million dollars to World Missions. So that's really something to celebrate. We dreamed about that years ago when we started our Serve the World Fund, that maybe someday God would bless us through his people and through generous hearts to do that, and it's happened. So we want to celebrate that, and thank you so much for your ongoing generosity. And again, we'll celebrate at our annual meeting at 12 noon today, so be with us if you can. Uh, most of you know that Lorene and I have four adult sons, uh, three of whom are now married. Here they are together at the second son Jesse's wedding this past June down in Nashville. Some people think they all look alike. Nah, I don't see it. Um, and you probably know that they grew up playing sports, uh, lots of sports. All four of them played multiple sports in high school, baseball, basketball, football, and four went on to play a sport in college. All four played a sport in college, two went on to play some professionally. And we can honestly say that with all the hundreds and hundreds of games, we enjoyed all of it. But there was nothing quite like uh, Friday night high school football for us. Nothing quite like Friday nights under the lights at Batavia Bulldog Stadium. The band, you know, the cheerleaders, the crowd, the excitement, everyone wearing Batavia gear with Batavia colors, the red, yellow, and black. It helped that Batavia had some very good teams in those years, won most of the time, which was fun. Our youngest son, uh, Kanan, played his last high school football game in the fall of 2015. And so when he moved on to college, we just stopped going to Batavia football games. It just wasn't the same when one of our boys wasn't playing. But now and then we'd catch a game if it was streamed on YouTube or something. Um, but it was just different without being there in person watching one of our boys. But last week, uh, there was a big game. And our son, Micah, who lives in town in Batavia with his wife and two little girls, uh, he decided he was going to go to the game. And so we decided uh, that we'd go too. We'd join them. So we put, dug out our Batavia gear and wore it to the game. We sat on the Batavia side of the field with all the other Bulldog fans. We cheered when the band played the Batavia fight song, which is called Batavia Loyalty. It was great fun. And then we left at halftime because it was eh, a little past my bedtime. Um, <laughs> but it occurred to me later that even though it was eight years after our youngest played his last high school game, we still, we still identified as Batavia Bulldog fans. 
It also occurred to me that during those eight years when we did not go to games, uh, we were still Batavia Bulldog fans, but it was only when we gathered together with a couple thousand other Bulldog fans that we experienced the full expression of that identity. Now, the point here is that there's a difference between identifying ourselves as Batavia fans individually and sharing and celebrating that identity with other Batavia fans. We're in the second week of a series we're calling Pathway to Purpose, and last week we began with a well-known passage out of Acts chapter 2 that showed us that the earliest followers of Jesus, the early church, were devoted to, and that we are still devoted to 2,000 years later, the apostles' teaching, the gospel, fellowship, to worship, and to witness. And today we want to dig a little bit deeper into what it looks like, both on the individual level and on the collective or corporate level. What does it look like to follow Jesus? And what does it look like for us to follow Jesus together? So we've created this little tool to help us. Now there's a lot going on in this little graphic, and it's new for a lot of you. We're going to use it a lot so you'll get familiar with it. But let me show you what's going on. Notice that our three missional purposes around the outside of the diagram. Uh, there's experience grace up there to the left, then there's grow in faith, and there's make an impact at the bottom. Those are the things we want everyone who's part of Chapel Street to experience. It's to experience God's grace through the gospel, to grow in faith through His Word and through small groups, and then to make an impact right where they are. We say this all the time. That's our missional purpose. But then notice, underneath experience grace, you see these two words, gospel and gather. Underneath grow in faith, there's connecting groups and grow spiritually, then make an impact, there's go and give. Now, we believe those six words, all beginning with the letter G, um, gather, gospel, groups, grow, go, and give, together can describe what we are about as individual followers of Jesus and what we are about as a church because they are the fundamental building blocks of the Christian life. So the question we want you to be asking yourselves, that we want to be asking ourselves over the next couple of weeks, is this. How many of these G's are part of my life? How many of these G's am I involved with regularly in my spiritual walk? Am I... Uh, 6G follower of Jesus, or am I a 2G follower of Jesus? Am I a 3G follower of Jesus? And where can I grow? And the key to understand here is that God is not simply asking more of us. He doesn't want us to be doing more things to try to earn His blessing. But He does want more for us. And that's what these 6Gs are all about. So today we want to look at the first two Gs, gather and gospel. We're going to begin in Peter's first letter, and he begins in this first letter uh, by explaining the very center of the gospel, First uh, Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. He writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. He's telling us that the new birth of the gospel gives us, and this is how I like to describe it, a new heart through the forgiveness of sins, a new identity by being adopted into God's family as his children, a new purpose to serve in his kingdom through his church, 
and a new destiny, our eternal inheritance in the new heaven and new earth. And if you've put your faith in Jesus today as Lord and Savior, you have already received all of those promises. They belong to you. But Peter turns his attention now in the second chapter to our corporate identity as a people. He writes, 1 Peter 2, verse 9, but, and he says but here because he's just contrasted those who have believed and those who have not believed, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now we're going to see three things that Peter says to us here today, describing us in three ways. He says we are a chosen people, we are a gathered people, and we are a declaring people. First, a chosen people. Uh, years ago I heard a pastor who was also a father uh, tell a story about uh, the bedtime routine he had developed with his, his little son um, when he was very, very small. Uh, every night, as he um, did the whole bedtime ritual, before he said goodnight and left the room, he would play a little game with the son. He would say to him, uh, if I lined up all the little boys, let's say he's three years old, all the three-year-old little boys in the whole world, and I could walk along that entire line of three-year-old little boys, do you know which boy I would pick out to be my son? And the game was, the little boy would say, you'd pick me, Daddy. He'd say, yes, I'd pick you. Did this every night, every night, month after month, year after year. And then the time came when the boy was 13 or so. Uh, he started into the same bedtime ritual, and he said, if I lined up all the 13-year-old boys, and, and his son interrupted him and said, yeah, yeah, I know, Dad. I know. And then it dawned on the father, yeah, he's maybe outgrown our little game. And it is a little bit corny. So he just said, okay, I, okay, good night, son. He started to walk out of the room. And as he get, got to the door to leave, the son said, hey, Dad. He turned around and the son said, you, but you can tell me again anyway, he said. Peter tells us again that we are chosen by God. In Ephesians, the apostle Paul writes, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. That's what God has done for you individually if you're a believer today. Chose you before the foundation of the world. Peter then builds on Paul's thought by saying we were also chosen by God, not just individually, we were chosen corporately as well. And then he takes us on a kind of whirlwind tour of Old Testament history. Now, sometimes we think of the Old Testament as this um, big, ponderous uh, book filled with ancient stories of wars and blood and sacrifices and cubits and ephods, and we wonder what it all has to do with us at all. But the Old Testament is critical for us to help us understand the New Testament. Reading the New Testament without understanding the Old Testament is like seeing part two of a movie when we haven't seen part one. So he uses four phrases that God uses throughout the Old Testament to describe the people of Israel and then applies them directly to the church, to us. First he says, you are a chosen people. 
If I were to ask you today, who are God's chosen people, most of you would say, well, the Jews. And that would be correct. Way back in Deuteronomy chapter 7, we read God saying to his people, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. In Genesis 12, we see God calling a man called Abram, and told him that he would make him into a great nation, and that through that nation, the whole world would be blessed. And much of the Old Testament tells the story of how God chose Israel, the descendants of Abraham, to bring God's word to the world, and eventually through them, to bring the Messiah who would save the people from their sins. So God chose Israel for his special purpose. But now Peter says to us in the New Testament that as Christians, we are God's chosen people. Now you are the ones God has chosen to reach and touch the world. Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, Understand then that those who have faith, he's talking about us, and are, ch are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Again, that's us. And announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So, they, so those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now the difference is, of course, that, that uh, the people of God now are not defined by a particular ethnic group or cultural group like the people of Israel, like the Jews. Because Paul continues in Galatians 3, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, there is not male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. The church is to be the most inclusive community in the history of the world. None of that other stuff matters which is why Christianity crosses over cultural boundaries and ethnic boundaries and language boundaries all over the world, because that's what God intended. Did you know that today in the world, the average follower of Jesus in the world today is a young woman of color? It's contrary to what the cultural narrative is, if you consider the whole world. And there are far more believers in Christ in the world in Africa, Asia and South America than there are in Europe and North America. Far more. That's where the church is exploding. That's where the gospel is exploding. So, you, so who are God's chosen people then? We are. You are, if you are in Christ. Secondly, he says we are a royal priesthood. You are a royal priesthood. In the Old Testament, God established the priesthood uh, to mediate between God and his people. Uh, the priest served as a kind of bridge between God and the people of Israel. Only the priest had the privilege of, of complete access to God, the holiness of God. Only the priest could present the sacrifices of the people to God. And then the New Testament tells us, takes this great leap and tells us that Jesus then became the great new high priest. In Hebrews chapter 2 we read, For this reason he that's Jesus, had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest, a bridge between people and God, in service to God, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. And then not only that, 
we learn through the New Testament that Jesus opened the way for us, his people, his followers, to become a royal priesthood. The New Testament tells us this happened at the moment of Jesus' death on the cross when the great curtain in the temple that separated the people from the holiest of holy places, it tore in two from top to bottom, thus symbolically giving us access to the holiness and presence of God. Thus, Jesus provides access to the Father. And this means that as believers, we don't have to go through the church to be in the presence of God. We don't have to go through a priest or a preacher or a pastor. We have direct access to God the Father. Again, Hebrews chapter 4. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And more than that, it means we can all be a bridge between people and God. That is, we can pray for each other, which we do every week here at South Street. But you can do it at home. You can do it in a coffee shop. You can pray with other people. And you can be one who helps lead people toward God. Because he says you are now a community of royal priests. Every single one of us has direct, privileged access to God the Father through Jesus. In his famous biography of Abraham Lincoln, historian and writer Carl Sandburg tells the story of how when Lincoln was president, his two young sons, Tad and Willie, um, had a small soldier doll, a little doll that looked like a soldier. It was the middle of the Civil War, so they saw soldiers everywhere, so they would play with this little soldier doll and imagine different battles and things like that. And one day they went to the gardener and told the gardener that their little doll had, had fallen asleep on guard duty and was due to be shot the next morning. Talking about their doll. So they witnessed all kinds of things. And the gardener, in his wisdom, said, you know, maybe you might be able to get a pardon from the president for, for your doll, whose name was Jack. And so the little boys got excited. They grabbed Jack and they ran up to their father's office. And, and her father was the president. It was the middle of the Civil War. He's in the middle of his office. He's working. He's finding papers, doing all that stuff. They charged right into his office, and they told him the story of Jack, that Jack needed a pardon. And Lincoln himself paused, put down all his work, and wrote a short letter. And it said, The doll Jack is pardoned by order of the president, signed A. Lincoln. Those boys had access to the president. Here's a famous portrait made of President Lincoln and his son, Ted. Because they were his children. And they could bring their request, as trivial as it might have been, directly into his presence. That's us, Peter says. Thirdly, we are a holy nation, he says. Now, what does Peter mean by you are a holy nation? This sounds vaguely nationalistic and even dangerous to us. Well, what it does not mean is that we are called to establish a religious state or a state religion. You may remember that the founders of this church back in the late 1800s, 1894, were Swedes who fled the state church of Sweden to come here for religious freedom. So we're not about establishing a state religion. He's not talking about a political kingdom at all. He's talking about a spiritual kingdom. He's talking about a holy people, a people chosen and set aside for a special purpose. In Exodus, God speaks to Israel and says, Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. 
although the whole earth is mine, you'll be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Then in the New Testament, Philippians, the Apostle Paul writes, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter then tells us how we are to live out this heavenly citizenship when he writes in 1 Peter 1, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Now we know from history that the church was born in the midst of one of the most powerful, corrupt, and brutal political regimes ever to exist, the Roman Empire. But we also know that just 300 years later, the Christian faith had turned that whole empire upside down, and the emperor himself became a Christian. So how did that happen? Well, it wasn't through politics. Not at that time, anyway. In his book called Bullies and Saints, John Dixon, who we hear preach here now and then, writes that the early believers had only four tools through which to change the world. Those tools were prayer, persuasion, service, and sacrifice. The willingness to suffer if necessary. And we, the church, are called not to be a political nation, but to be a holy nation, a holy people. And finally, Peter says, you are God's special possession. Again, way back in Exodus, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Paul in the New Testament, in the book of Ephesians, compares marriage to the relationship of Christ and his church. He says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. So just as a bride is the possession of, his gro- of the groom, not to own, but to care for and to protect, so we, as the church, are his special possession. We are a chosen people, he says. Secondly, we're also a gathered people. A gathered people. We can all remember, all too well, uh, the scary and strange time that we just refer to as COVID now. We just call it COVID. We remember the masks. Remember the social distancing. Maybe like me, you still find masks in weird places around your house. Find them in my, in my glove compartment. Find them in my pockets. Still have them. We remember sheltering in place. And the COVID pandemic, in many ways, robbed us collectively of almost two full years of normal life. And there were so many losses during that time. Many lost jobs. Many lost income, some lost loved ones. Children lost a whole year or more of school. We lost the freedom to gather together as family and friends. And we lost the freedom to gather here for worship. I can still remember the feeling of standing here, preaching in an empty room, looking at a light on a camera in the back, trying to... It was an empty feeling. We did it. I'm glad we could do it. But there was a loss there. And I think in that loss, COVID may have taught us something really important, taught me something really important, something we so easily take for granted, something that we only fully realized once it was taken away, and that is the joy and privilege of gathering, 
of gathering. Now, we know that church attendance in America has been in decline over a number of decades. It has been. All the studies show that. Even the most faithful attenders who once were in church every week now attend about less than twice a month. Now, I don't think that's true here at South Street. I think it's true across the nation and across other campuses. And there's lots of reasons for that. Work has encroached on weekends. Children's sports has encroached on weekends. Affluence produces lots of opportunities. General busyness, the pandemic itself, created different habits. But if you look again at the description of the church we saw last week in Acts chapter 2, and let me read this passage again for you, we learned something. They had devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. We studied that last week, but notice the words I highlighted this time. Quite literally, the church was built on that word together. The New Testament apostles had no sense of individual Christianity. They knew it was important to know, we each need to know our identity in Christ. But for them, it was always what happened when the believers were together. This is why the months of COVID shutdown were so painful for many of us, that our identity as a gathered people was made impossible. Of course, we can still be individual followers of Christ. We can still watch on television or on our computer, but we cannot be a gathered people of faith. Let me just say for a moment to those of you who might be watching uh, today online, and you're watching because for one reason or another, you cannot, you're unable to be with us in person. We're so glad you can join us. We're so glad that through the small miracle of technology, you can share in God's Word. You can share in worship. We're glad. But for those of you who are watching online, because it's just a little more convenient for you to do that, I'm also glad. But you need to know that we miss you when you're not here. That when you're not here, something is missing. Because that's the way God designed his gathered people. In Hebrews 10 we read, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now maybe I can illustrate it like this. If you have children or grandchildren, as we do, uh, imagine the joy of a father or a mother when all the children and grandchildren come home to be together, maybe for a Thanksgiving dinner. Just imagine joy. You know what that feels like. Everybody's home again. And if one is missing, can't be there for some reason, you still have great joy for those who are there, but you're missing something. So imagine the joy of the Father when all his children are home, gathered together. I think that's something of what God our Father feels when we gather in his presence. Thirdly, Peter says we are a proclaiming people, a declaring people. Back to our text. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 
It says you are chosen. So we are chosen. But for what? That you may declare the praises. The ESV says that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Now that word translated declare or proclaim means to publish, to advertise, to make known. Now obviously we do that here week after week when we declare his word through preaching and teaching, but we can also as individuals declare the praises of the one who called us from darkness to light. And I think we sometimes hesitate here. I think we sometimes think we need to be able to explain the whole Bible if we get into a conversation with someone about faith or we have to be able to answer all the questions or be theologically trained to be declarers of his praises. But that's not so. In John chapter 9, this is only one of many illustrations I could give you, there's a story of a man who'd been born blind. Jesus heals the man by restoring his sight. But he does so on a Sabbath. So the enemies of Jesus accuse him of being a sinner because he doesn't follow the Sabbath rules. An argument breaks out, and so the Pharisees go back to the man who'd been blind and confront him. We see in John 9, verse 24. A second time they summon the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. He, the, the formerly blind man, replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. That's it. That's his entire testimony. In the TV video series called The Chosen, which I'm sure many of you have seen episodes of, the story of the life of Christ, the character Mary Magdalene describes her experience of meeting Jesus, and she says it this way. I was one way, now I'm completely different, and in between, there was him. I was one way, now I'm completely different, in between, there was him. Peter says, once you were not a people, now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. So several questions for us today. Have you received mercy? Have you experienced the grace of Jesus in your life? If you have, you have a story to tell. I was one way. Now I'm different. In between, there was him. Do you know someone in your life? Do you have a friend? Do you have a family member? Do you have someone who lives near you who needs to know the mercy and grace of Jesus? Who has not met him? Do you know someone? Most of us do. About two and a half years ago, or three years ago or so, a fa new family moved into the house right behind our house. So our, our, the next door neighbors, but right behind us. We almost share a backyard. Soon after they moved in, uh, Loreen, uh, my wife, uh, as she often does, took some cookies over to welcome them to the neighborhood. Uh, and in her conversation with the wife, and the husband was there too, she found out they were Palestinian in background. Uh, and so she came back. We talked a bit about it. So a couple of days after that, we were both outside, and, and the husband was out working in his yard. So Loreen introduced us. And uh, in the course of a short conversation, I asked, like guys do, so what, what, what do you do? Where do you work? 
It turns out he runs a small insurance agency, and then he, in turn, asked me, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm a pastor at a local church. And he broke into a big grin and said, hi, I'm your new Muslim neighbor, he said. <laughs> really friendly guy, so we began to build a friendship. They've been in our home for dinner, we've been in their home for dinner, and our, we're just trying to be good neighbors, trying to get to know them. Had several conversations about their religious traditions, uh, sometimes we can see them in their backyard. Uh, we, we've had a few conversations I've had with him about Jesus. Not a great deal, but a few. And what I realized is there, my job is not to make my new Muslim friend a Christian. Only God can do that. My job is to declare the praises of him who called me from darkness to light, to share the mercy and grace of Jesus in some way and trust God to do the rest. We are called people. Peter says, but in your hearts reveal Christ Jesus as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. We have experienced grace. We are to gather as his people, and we are to declare. We are to declare because we've been chosen for this special purpose. Let's bow in prayer. Lord God, thank you for your word today. Thank you for reminding us about who we are, not just as individuals, but as a people, as your church. And as we prepare to remember you through bread and cup this morning, thank you for your mercy and grace that gives us new life and living hope. And use us as we have opportunity to declare the praises of you, who called us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This table uh, that we come to now with bread and cup does not belong to this church. It belongs to the Lord Jesus himself. So even if you're newer among us, if you've put your faith in Jesus for the salvation of your souls, then we want you to share communion with us, share the bread and cup. In just a moment, uh, the servers will pass all the trays out. There are two cups stacked together in each spot. Take both cups, just hold them until everyone is received, and I will lead us through the remembrance of the Lord's Supper. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, very simply, we ask that through bread and cup, you remind us again of the greatness of your love, the greatness of your grace that sees our sin, atones for our sin, forgives and redeems even our sin so that we can know you, walk with you, in the fullness of joy. Meet us again here by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. The New Testament teaches us that on the night before he died, the Lord met with his closest followers at what we call the Last Supper. During that meal, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to each one of them, saying, Take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of him. After the bread, Jesus also poured the cup. He said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood shed for the forgiveness of your sin. Today, as followers of Jesus, we know that what the Apostle Paul said is true, that each time we drink from this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Do this in remembrance of him.
Before the benediction, just a reminder, annual meeting is at noon right here in this room. If you're a member and cannot attend, stop by and pick up your absentee ballot and get it done before you leave. Receive now today's benediction. May we go now in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who chose us by his grace, who gathers us as his people, and who calls us to declare his praises to the world. Amen. Have a great day.